uh, from a young age, that's what I always focused on. You know, I always wanted to make sure I had a mule deer tag in my pocket. If you ever want to learn how to stalk an animal, go on a spot and stalk antelope hunt and you'll probably blow 20 or 30 stalks before you even get within bow range and then that stalk you'll probably blow it too. But <laughs> And he had just been diagnosed with, at that time it was a life-threatening illness. It's something he's going to have to live with the rest of his life. But at that time, I didn't know if I was going to have any more hunting seasons with him. Not everybody's going to kill a 400-inch bull, you know? I have never seen a 400-inch bull in the wild. Like, for me, that's one of the things I love. I look forward to packing animals out. I look forward to that pain, you know, that pain of success. And what it does is it teaches them how to bring the wilderness into the classroom, whether it's archery in the schools or whether it's teaching kids how to start a fire. I mean, how many kids out there actually know how to start a fire now? For me, I just love talking hunting. I love being in the outdoors. So... I'm sure pretty much any weekend, if I'm not at a show, I'm going to be out, you know, running around the woods. As long as there's something to do outdoors, I'll be doing it. <laughs> hey guys, this is Muley Matt, and you're listening to Living Country in the City, episode 49. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey y'all, happy new year and thanks for tuning in for episode 49 of Living Country in the City. You know, I'm crazy excited to start this new year off with a bang and I've got some really exciting stuff in the works that I'm really looking forward to sharing with y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Now, today I'm talking with Muley Matt Howell of the Mule Deer Hunter and cultivator of, I guess the best way to describe it here is a, an impressive wall of beard. Matt, thanks for hopping on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. This is going to be a blast. Absolutely. So why don't you uh, start out by giving me maybe a little bit of background about how you got your start in the outdoors and hunting? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I was raised like many of the of the guys around me, I was raised in the, in the hunting world, I guess, you know, I had a dad that loved to hunt, um, a grandfather that loved to hunt. And so from a young age, they were going out hunting. I would see them come back with, you know, a deer in the back of the truck or an elk in the back of the truck. And I remember, you know, probably around six or seven years old, talking my mom into driving out to their camps, you know, at night so that I could sit around the campfire and hear their stories, you know, and, um, it was awesome to be out there and just to be a part of even that setting, not actually getting to hunt, but just being there to hear the stories around the campfire. And and it worked out cool. One night during the hunt, every year I got to go out and just kind of hang out with, with the guys um, and hear the stories. So that was awesome. As I got a little bit older, uh, my dad really started to get into bear hunting, um, specifically with a bow. And, and the cool thing was he was actually after one particular bear, and he hunted that bear for like four years. But I got to be a part of that and go out in the spring and, and help him set baits, um, hang stands. And we would sit there and watch seven or eight different bears come in every night and talk about the bears and you know how you could tell it was a male or a, a female. If it was a sow, you know, does she have cubs? And it was really cool just to learn a lot close up. Um, 
crazy thing is that bear disappeared. He never harvested it. Nobody ever harvested it as far as we found out. So, um, and then about the time I got old enough to hunt, Colorado passed a law, um, outlawing, um, baiting for bears and use of hounds. So, um, now you can hunt bear, but you only, ha- you can only hunt bear in the fall and you can't use baits. So, uh, but that, that definitely got a passion instilled in me for the outdoors. Uh, as far as mule deer, man, I don't know. I, that was something that I think just growing up where I grow up, seeing them all the time, getting to know them, seeing the little differences and nuances in each animal, you know, whether it be the, you know, the little nicks in their ears or the colorations, you know, the throat patches, the antler configurations. I don't know. Something about mule deer just always caught my attention. And uh, from a young age, that's what I always focused on. You know, I always wanted to make sure I had a mule deer tag in my pocket. Um, at the age of 15, no, 16, I guess I was, I just turned 16. I harvested my first buck with a bow and that was just an awesome experience for me. I, you know, I was on cloud nine and I had already spent two years archery hunting for, you know, a buck and, and hadn't been able to get it done. So it was cool. And, you know, starting out at that young age, I always ended up hunting alone, even though my dad was a hunter during archery season was one of his busiest times of the year, as far as um, as far as work goes. So he would take me out, drop me off at a, at a place, you know, and say, okay, I'm going to pick you up on a different road over here and, you know, right after dark. And then he'd go work, you know, do some jobs and then he'd meet me there at dark and pick me up. So I spent a lot of time, you know, when I was young out hunting by myself and, uh, I would not say that I was very successful at a young age, but I think by getting out there and getting those experiences, and failing, it caused me to be much more successful now um, and give me a better understanding of of not only how mule deer work, but just animals in general, you know, wildlife. So so was that buck at 16 your, your first animal period or just your first uh, harvest with a bow? It was actually my first animal period, uh, my first big game animal. I had shot some hogs down in Texas when I was young, um, but to me, you know, that was my first big game animal. Um, and it was, it was kind of a cool situation. I snuck in on these deer. I had spotted these bucks from maybe four or 500 yards and dropped down across the Canyon and they were coming down to water and I was going up to meet them and actually got caught out in the open as they came out of smoke brush. And, uh, I looked over and man, here's this stud of a buck, probably 185 inch, you know, five by five deep forks, you know, in my mind, I still see him at like 36 inches wide, but I'm sure he was like 30. <laughs> but I mean, you know, he was just a stud buck. And I, I was sitting there thinking, man, I can't draw my bow. I'm out in the open. He's looking right at me. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I caught a little bit of movement. And I turned my head to the left. And the buck I ended up killing, which was right about 145, 150 class buck, full velvet, you know, just a beautiful four point, was standing there at about 15 yards and he was looking the other direction. And so immediately I just, you know, knocked an arrow, brought my bow up, came to full draw and stuck him. You know, I didn't even hesitate. I just, I knew I couldn't get a shot off on that, the buck that was staring at me. So I, I shot that buck and man, the arrow went clean through him. I went over, blood all over the arrow, turned around and that big buck was still standing right where he was broadsided about 20 yards. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I, you know, I could care less at that point. I was just stoked that, you know, I knew I had a buck down. So it was a cool experience. So do you still have that buck laying around anywhere? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's here in the house. So (laughs) That's awesome. That's, you know, that's one of the cool things I think, you know, whatever the, the, the drama over the term trophy hunting, whatever, whatever it is. I mean, you know, that one, that's a trophy buck to you. It may not, you know, for sure. That's a, an awesome trophy buck for you. But the fact that you still have it and it it brings back all those memories and you can still look at that and remember that time that, you know, that first time in that story with the other buck and, you know, it's, right. you know, you can just see it, you know, how, how much you enjoy telling that story. Oh, yeah. It's still crisp and clear in my mind for sure. So, yeah. That's, you know, that's one of the exciting things I think about hunting is, is and coming back with with these trophies is it's not, it's not just about throwing something up on a wall. It's about reliving that incredible experience and, and bringing back all those memories and all of that. I, I would agree with you on that for sure. And, you know, I get, I get some people that, you know, ask about 
hanging stuff on the wall and if, if how I feel about that. And I even get some people saying it's so disrespectful to the animal. But to me, I look at each one of these and I know you can see behind me some of these deer on the wall. Every one of them, every time I look at it, it brings back memories of that hunt. You know, to me, that's the ultimate respect, you know, to have those trophies, keep them around. You know, I remember the hunt. I remember, you know, the moment that I chose to take that animal's life. You know, to me, it's not a simple and easy thing. It's not as easy just, okay, pull the trigger, whether you're pulling a trigger on a release or on a, on a rifle. For me, you know, I have to make a decision. You know, it's not just get an arrow in that animal. It's can I get an arrow in that animal's heart? You know, can I make an ethical shot, pierce both the lungs, and make sure that animal dies quickly without suffering? And when you make that choice to pull that trigger, you better be damn proud of that animal that you've harvested. And I guess maybe that's one of the things that kind of pisses me off about social media these days is way too many times I see people post a picture. And the first thing they say is this isn't the biggest buck, but well, you know what? It was big enough for you to pull the trigger. So you should be damn proud of the fact that you did. And that's, that's the way I am. The way I look at it, I've got a buck sitting over here. That's a three by four and it doesn't score at all. He's like 20 inches wide. And you know, I mean, he wasn't even a mature deer, which now I won't harvest a, a deer that's not mature for the most part, but my son was with me and he had just been diagnosed with, at that time, it was a life-threatening illness. It's something he's going to have to live with the rest of his life. But at that time, I didn't know if I was going to have any more hunting seasons with him. He, you know, he was not able to walk very far. We couldn't get in the woods very far. I think he was 10 years old at that time, maybe 11, but you know, he was with me and he's like, dad, shoot, I want you to shoot that deer. And it was the last night. And there was no way in the world I was going to pass it up. And he's still one of my favorite bucks because I got to share that experience with my son. And, you know, at that time, I seriously didn't know if I was going to have any more hunting seasons with him. Um, since then, my son's now 15 and he's killed three mule deer bucks. It's a nice, like 180, close to 180, 178, I think is what he was. But I mean, just a stud deer when he was 12, he's killed a bear, you know, so he's, he's gotten out there and, and had those experiences. But had I not shot that deer and let him have that experience at that young age, not only just the, you know, being there for the harvest, but seeing what it, you know, what it takes to harvest the animal, you got to gut it and clean it and pack it out and him getting to be a part of that. I don't know if it would have instilled in him enough um, passion towards the outdoors to where he would still be hunting. Um, he's not, I guess he's a little different as far as, um, different than I was because when I was his age, all I wanted to do was shoot my bow and shoot my guns and be outside. Whereas he would rather be on the computer playing video games or talking to friends or watching sports or, you know, playing sports, which at this age, you know, high school age, I understand, but I I'd strongly believe if I hadn't shared that moment with him when I was younger, that he would not be against hunting by any means and probably still hunt, but he wouldn't have the same kind of passion he has for it. No, that's, that's awesome. I, I don't know. I just hope one day, you know, if, if I, if I ever have kids, that's the one thing that, uh, that I, I think about all the time. I'm like, you know, if I have kids, I want them to, I don't know. I just want to make sure I can instill that same, those things that I'm passionate about, you know, you want to be able to pass those on and, you know, hunting's such a big one, but you know, I mean, and there's a, there's a ton of stuff that I'm, I'm super passionate about, but, and, um, but that's that's the one thing I always think about, and it's it's so important just for hunting in general that that people are passing that on because it's so so quick that we can lose that, you know. Yeah, no, I, and I agree, and I think you have to be careful with kids bringing them into the outdoors, just as you do anybody else. That on those early hunts, those early outdoor experiences, there has to be some form or level of success. Now, I'm not saying you have to kill an animal, you know, your first day out. But if those kids or those new hunters aren't at least seeing animals, which, I mean, you know from your elk hunt in Idaho how discouraging that gets. <laughs> For you sure. Know, don't have just that built-in passion to push you to do it again next year. On a lot of these kids and these new hunters, they're not going to do it again. They're going to say, you know what, that wasn't any fun. I didn't see anything, you know, and I just I don't want to do it again. So I think you have to introduce those kids you know, at a, at an early age, especially if you're introducing them at an early age to short hunts where you, there's a lot of game or a lot of success, whether that be a, like a duck hunt or, 
Um, not that I duck hunt because I mean, not that I'm against it, but I just, (laughs) (laughs) um, I don't actually enjoy eating ducks. So I don't, I don't duck hunt very much, but you know, it just needs to be something successful, you know, to where there's a lot of action and keep their focus and excitement on the hunt. Um, you know, even if it's like going to the winter range and looking at deer, getting them out there to where it's action packed and not just, you know, hike your butt off, you know, to where they, they get excited about it and they don't look at it as work. That's what needs to happen, you know, with kids and with new hunters. And, uh, you know, I just, and I think they need the whole experience. You can't sugarcoat it to where it's like, okay, we shot it, you know, somebody else is going to clean it and, you know, package it up. Like with my boys, you know, their first animals, they pulled the trigger, they went up, they had their hands bloody and dirty. They had knives at the age of 12, you know, cutting meat. We butchered the thing at the house, packaged it all up. And, and, you know, when that food hit their plate and they were able to look at me at the age of 12 and say, you know what, I brought this meat to the house. You could see that pride in their eyes of like, Hey, this is, this is my meal. Like I did, I did this, you know, and that was, that was a really cool experience probably almost as cool as just, you know, the moment that he pulled the trigger and killed that buck, you know, <laughs> just him seeing and understanding, okay, this is full circle why we do it. That's awesome. So, so you wouldn't say, uh, a high country elk hunt, uh, on public land would probably be the best decision for, uh, for your 10 year old. Is that, is that what we're getting at here? <laughs> for your 10 year old, it might be tough. Now, <laughs> You get somebody that's passionate about just hiking and camping and, and, you know, seeing the beauty of mother nature, you might pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heck for a, for your 34 year old, that was pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. I, uh... you know, I think, I think people, well, okay. I, I'll make a little statement and some people may think it's a bold statement, but I think that there's the high country and high country hunts are so romanticized, you know, it's, it's kind of that romantic hunt, you know, everybody wants to do it. And I think everybody should do it at some point. But what I'll say is that those hunts have to be earned. You can't buy those hunts. You can go out and get the most expensive gear. You can get the, you know, the nicest camo out there, the newest bow, the newest rifle. You know, if you don't put in the time to earn those hunts and the effort to earn those hunts, it's not going to be successful. And I'm not just talking about pulling the trigger successful. I'm talking about getting back, you know, to the trailhead with a smile on your face. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people go too hard, too deep, spend too much money on their first trips. You know, your first trips to me, I think you need to get out there a mile or two off the road and be happy with it. And I think you need to be happy with a maybe a, what you might consider a subpar animal. You know, I, it, not everybody's going to kill a 400 inch bull. You know, I have never seen a 400 inch bull in the wild as you know, (laughs) just haven't, it just, you know, 200 inch deer. Yeah. I've, I've killed a 200 inch deer and I've seen them, but I'm in a great place for it. And I think that you have to have long-term goals where you say, okay, yeah, someday I want to get a 400 inch bull, but you also have to have realistic expectations and you have to have short-term goals of, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, go to Utah and get a spike only tag and I'm going to shoot a spike, you know, or do my damnedest to do it, you know, whether you succeed or not, but to where you can have fun and be like, okay, I'm going to chase these bulls and get to know them because yeah, you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut in the forest every now and then. So yeah, you get a newbie walk out and a giant bull walks out in front of him and he shoots it. But for the most part, that is not hunting. You know, if that does happen, that guy may not kill a bull for 20 years, you know, because he doesn't know, how to elk hunt. He got, he got lucky, which is great. Um, but I think for the most part, you have to put in the time, no matter what you're doing. You know, if, if, if that, that success can't be bought, it has to be earned. I mean, that's such, it's such an interesting point too, because, you know, you talk about, okay, guy goes out, you know, his first trip gets super lucky, kills that bull. You know, I mean, unless he's got a lot of people informing him, he's going to go out and, that's what he's going to do again next year. He's going to walk out and expect that the same thing's going to happen. Like he's going to think that's the norm. He's not going to, that person didn't learn anything. They didn't, uh, they don't know. Okay. Oh, this is, they have had no examples of where they need to improve or what they can do better. And so 
they're just going to keep doing that same thing for, I mean, year after year until until they realize, crap, this isn't working anymore. Right. Uh, they don't just appear, you know, 100 yards off the road all all day long. Yeah, and that's that's very true. And, you know, I know I've seen it firsthand where people get lucky. I mean, the biggest bull I've ever seen killed in the area I like to hunt was killed by, you know, a guy that him and his buddy had literally put their finger on a map and said, let's go here. And they drive out there and the guy – his buddy killed a nice buck the first night. So they were partying all night and crawled out of the tent 10 o'clock in the morning. And he walked up the hill about a hundred yards from camp and killed a giant bull, you know, and they were, like, yeah, this stuff's easy. We're going back to California. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course they're from California. Right. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, I mean, it just shows you that to be successful, number one, you got to be off the couch. You got to be in the woods. You never know what'll happen. You know, if you're sitting at home, you're never going to kill anything. So get out there. Um, you increase your odds of, of success the more you, more effort you put into it. In other words, the more work you put into it in the off season, whether it be studying Google Maps or learning about the animals and the unit that you're hunting. Um, you know, getting ready physically. Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, doing these. Um, what do they call them? The the fitness shows where you, you know, you got a rocking body and six packs and, you know, <laughs> it's like Griffith, you know, all ripped. But I'm talking about having your body in, in a shape to where you can hit the mountain, um, hike the mountain and pack out what you need, you know, if you get that animal down. I would be willing to bet that most guys that hunt the backcountry are, are going to go on a hunter or a backcountry trip have never had a hundred pounds in their backpack, you know, but if you get an elk down more than likely, you're going to have a hundred pounds in your pack at some point. Um, I would encourage people to, Hey, go to the gym and throw two forty-five pound plates, you know, on your back and get on the stair climber and do a couple flights of stairs and see how that feels, you know, because that is legitimate, you know, that that's an experience that you're going to have. If you're successful, you have to get that meat out. I mean, Again, that's paying respect to the animal. If you're going to kill that animal, you better be in good enough shape to get that animal out, get that meat out, you know, so that it doesn't go bad. So chasing rabbit trails again. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's definitely something I learned. I, I As I was training for my hunt, I remember I, you know, I was loading up the pack, loading up the pack, loading up the pack. And you also quickly realize uh, when your pack is not adjusted correctly for you. <laughs> it's... Uh, um, yeah, I, I quickly had to do some, uh, once I got up, I'd say past about 60 pounds, 60, 70 pounds. I had, uh, I quickly realized that I had to do a lot more research on exactly how to adjust a pack correctly and where it was supposed to sit because that started sucking rapidly. Uh, yeah, it, it will. And I'll also say this, you put 60, 70 pounds on your back you're going to find out what that pack itself is made out of. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people, a lot of people ask me, well, you know, what pack should I get? And I say, well, what are you going to do? Are you just going to go bird hunting or hiking or day, day packing, backpacking? What are you going to be putting on 80 pounds, hundred pounds, you know, and really getting after it? Cause that's where you're going to see the major difference. You know, the pack I use guys have been blown away. I've helped, you know, multiple people pack off in, in Idaho one year, guys, shot two bulls at the same time and we helped them pack those two bulls off the mountain and they were both using um high-end packs i'm not going to say names but you know a high-end um pack it probably cost them you know four or five hundred dollars for the packs and when they saw my pack and what i could put in it and they were both in better shape than me um so they both you know should have been able to pack more but and just just to see you know they were going to leave the head of one of the bulls. And I said, no, just throw it on my pack. And they're like, we can't do that. And I was like, yeah, just throw it on there. Now I did have like the Elvis legs going as I was headed down the hill, you know, they were, <laughs> um, wobble, wobble. <laughs> but you know, just seeing that. And when we got to the bottom and got to the truck, they were like, let me throw that pack on. And they were blown away at how well that pack handled that weight. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't so much me handling that weight as well as much as it was the pack. So, you know, I think it's important, yes, to have good gear, but I, uh, like I said, again, you've got to have that, uh, that experience. If you've got good gear, 
but you can't put 80 pounds on your back because physically your legs can't handle it, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, I definitely, I, I will agree. I was blown away the first time I, uh, I threw on my Kafaru pack with, it was like the first real frame pack I'd ever had with the, the belt and everything. And I'd never worn one before. And I was like, I, I just don't know. You know, I had only been using normal backpacks at that right. up until that point, And, uh, you know, I'd put weight in them, but I'm like, I just don't know. I don't, you know, I mean, I've been training, but I don't think I can put all this weight on and I put it on and I mean, I, it was definitely a struggle and I definitely had a lot more work to do, but I put it on and I'm like, Oh, Oh, I get it now. Yeah. I, I totally get it. How it just, how it redistributes everything. And I mean, there's certain, I mean, I really learned from a buddy of mine just there's certain, you know, and just from everyone I talk to, there's certain things that you, to some extent you do need to invest in. I, I think like, or when you're ready to invest and when you have the money to invest, there's definitely a certain hierarchy of things you need to, you know, like good pack, good boots. I mean, probably are the two most important. Um, I mean, but yeah, that would just blew me away. Um, and I definitely learned quickly. Uh, it's not just making sure you can carry that weight, but it's making sure you can carry it crawling over deadfall, going side hilling through loose shale, oh, yeah. knee deep snow. You know, it's, it's, I, I definitely learned that quickly that, uh, I could carry the weight, no problem. But then when I suddenly had to, I had no way to walk around this giant pile of deadfall, or I was crawling over trees for a hundred yards in snow, that's where that's where it really got me. I'm like, I need to I need to rethink my training <laughs> when it when it comes to carrying weight. You know, and I will I'll tell you that one of the things I love to do when I'm training is I'll do summer trips, you know. Yeah, it's great to scout, but load your pack up and get out there and put your legs to the test, you know. Don't just stay on the trail. Go up that rock slide, you know. Go through that that dark timber and over those deadfalls and and uh and do it in a safer environment you know you may not have 120 pounds on your back but you might have 60 pounds or 70 pounds and it'll it'll prepare those legs and those muscles for what really is to come when you get that bull down or that that buck down and you know on those early high country above timberline hunts out here in colorado for deer if you shoot a deer you're going to want to get it and your camp out as quick as possible and sometimes that's one trip you know, you bone that thing out and you get your camp in there and you're, you know, you're coming down off of that mountain with a ton of weight on your back. And, and it's, um, if you haven't prepared for it, it's going to be a painful and, uh, and not a super fun experience. But like for me, that's one of the things I love. I look forward to packing animals out. I look forward to that pain, you know, that pain of success. So it's, it's one of those few moments, uh, in life where it's, it's, it's an earned pain, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's something to be proud of. It's something that uh, you can kind of revel in because you know what it means. Yeah, it's so true. And I think for me, I, I get such a high from doing it and knowing, okay, we're packing out some, you know, some good meat. We're packing out an experience, you know, whether it's myself or my buddy's animal or my kid's animal, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I can very easily and quickly get a second wind, you know, and, and get <laughs> the things I wouldn't be able to get through if it was just a workout. So no, absolutely. But I do need to say something about Kafaru. Okay. Um, I use their packs too. And when you go with a company that's smaller, like Kafaru, um, that's local as far as made in the States, not only do they have awesome customer service where you can reach out and get a question answered almost immediately, but if you go on like YouTube, we were talking about making sure that pack fits. Well, you can go on YouTube and pull up how do I make my pack fit. And Kafaru's got, you know, a couple different videos up on how to make your pack fit properly, you know, or how to get your pack on, you know. And you don't think about that being an important factor. But like you said, you put on 60 pounds, you better make sure that thing's, you know, snug and tight in all the right spots or you're going to find out quickly, you know, <laughs> where it's not. So, um you know, going with companies like, like Kafaru and, and, and some of these companies, it's an extra expense and you might spend a little bit more money, 
but I guarantee you're going to get out of that money that you spend a whole lot more. Um, and it's just, you know, that's one company that I believe in. Um, I don't work for them. I, you know, I buy my packs and I buy my gear from them and, and I do it because I believe in it. And, you know, my pack I've got right now, I, I got the reckoning this year. Um, but I mean the, the frame is three, four years old and I probably won't ever replace it. You know, it's just, it's an awesome frame. Now they might come out with something super cool in five years that I have to have and I'll <laughs> give my son or something, but it's just, they make quality gear that lasts and they stand behind it. So, you know, getting a company and, and like that and getting a relationship with it, with a company like that is, um, super valuable in, in my mind. Um, I know if I ever have an issue, I can just call them up and say, Hey, look, this is, this is what's going on and they're going to take care of me. So no, definitely. And, uh, I hope Aaron and Dana don't hate me when I say this, but I, I admittedly bought my, uh, my frame and pack off a rock slide. Um, I, it was, it was like the perfect coincidence. I just happened to have exactly the frame and exactly the pack I wanted. Yeah. And they were, they were both almost brand new, but I, I will, I will say I, I picked up a, an older bikini frame. Cause I was thinking, you know, save on the weight. Right. And I will be probably, I don't know if I'll buy one for this next season, but just whenever I whenever I get the cash saved up, I'm I'm swapping that out for the the full hunter frame. Like it's just it was not worth saving the weight. Like I mean, don't get me wrong, that was that that bikini frame is more comfortable than any other pack I've put on. Uh-huh. But um I'm a I'm a skinny bony dude, like I just I don't have much padding, and so right. I I need padding on my pack, and the, I need those wider uh, I need those wider shoulder straps. Yeah, but, you know, the I've had people talk about their their packs being heavy, which if you look at their packs compared to some of the others in the industry, yes, they're a little heavier. But you know what? You're gonna feel all that difference when you get to sixty pounds. And to me, if my pack is twenty two and your pack is twenty our day packs you know we're running around whatever that's what we're carrying on a daily so what you know if i can't carry 25 30 pounds every day you know up and down the mountain then i probably shouldn't be up up there on that mountain. <laughs> so if my pack weighs a pound more i don't really care you know i mean that that weight is well worth it when you put a ton of ton of weight in there so yeah i was gonna say when it when it comes down to the line is when you do have the 90 100 pound packs and yeah. At that at that point, you know, <laughs> the the extra comfort is definitely gonna make a lot more difference than one less pound. Oh, definitely for sure. So, but so uh, so what are you doing these days? We talked a, a little bit about your growing up hunting your your first animal. What uh, what are you what are you getting into these days? Um, you know, still obviously chasing mule deer. I kind of chase them year round. Um. It's not I like live, it's in your Instagram profile name or anything like that. Yeah, I live in I live in Colorado in an area that has, you know, a lot of deer. Um, and with a little bit of work, I can I can find good deer pretty much every day to take pictures of. Um, I get a lot of people ask me, you know, oh, they're all right in your backyard. Well, no, they're not. I put on a lot of miles on my truck, on my boots, you know. Um, but within a three-hour range of where I live, there is a ton of wildlife, especially, I mean, and, and I'll say this, we can go from 5,000 foot deserts south of here to 14,000 foot peaks just north of here, you know, so there's a wide range of climate as well. Um, so year round, I can find animals. I mean, the winter range is just south of where I live. The summer range is just north. Um, so it's pretty awesome to be, you know, in this location. Um, so yeah, I'm always out taking pictures of mule deer, um, just you know, watching them. Um, I guess what I have going, um, I'm getting ready to, uh, to go out to Vegas for national uh, convention for Safari club. Um, and I go out there to represent, um, our local Safari club. We have a, we have a club here that, uh, we had about 140 members, I think in our club. Um, and we do a big banquet every year, raise some money. 70% of that money stays here locally that we can, dish out to different organizations, grants, scholarship funds. Um, we're getting ready to start archery in the schools in one of the local schools here. 
which is really cool. So they'll actually have archery class as a gym class in high school. So um, let let kids kind of get an experience that maybe they wouldn't normally. And I get to be a part of that because um, I'm part of our Four Corners Safari Club. Um, but so I'll be out in Vegas um, the end of January, beginning of February. I've got some meetings out there, and then of course the show. Um, the show is pretty cool because you have outfitters and people from all over the world. Um, you know, pushing Marco Polo hunts. You know, I mean, any any hunt you could ever dream of going on, there's an outfitter there that's that's got that hunt available. Um, they're not hunts that I'll probably ever get to take, but I can walk around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look at look at you know what they've got going, but. Um, so I've got that coming up. I've got the expo in Salt Lake. Um, I'll be doing a couple seminars there on using your phone and specifically the camera. Um, <laughs> so we'll talk a lot about, you know, phone scope and um, talk a little bit about, you know, just using it for scenery picks as well. Um, I found that that these phones, although they're not maybe up to a DSLR standard, they still take some great pictures and there's some pretty cool tricks to getting those pictures to turn out kind of like the way your eyes see it. I, I find that that's kind of one of the biggest issues with cell phones is you snap the picture and it doesn't look like what your eyes saw, you know, and a lot of people are like, Oh, it's, you know, it's a pretty picture, but it wasn't like the real thing, but there's some tricks that you can do with the phone to make it a lot closer to the real thing. So, um, so yeah, I'll talk about that in those seminars. So I've got seminars coming up, uh, a lot of little conservation things going with our local clubs. Um, I'm going to try and get, hopefully, the first part of January down to Arizona to do an archery mule deer hunt. Um, but next year, I don't know for sure how crazy in the hunting, how crazy in the realm of having tags in my pocket I will be. Um, I've got a son that's going to be a senior. He's on the football team and I just want to be there for the games, you know, so I'll probably do, you know, doing a lot of local hunts. I don't know if I'll go back to Idaho and hunt elk, although that was an awesome hunt. I don't know if I'll do that. Um, and I might even hold out. I should buy, I have a hundred percent chance of drawing my Colorado elk tag this year for a unit that I've been putting in for eight years now. Nice. And I might wait one more year just so I can give it a hundred percent and not feel like I got to bail out on Friday night to go watch my son's football game. So. But I don't know. We'll see. As season gets closer, I may change my mind. <laughs> I'll get an antelope tag this year, I think. So I'll be chasing antelope with my bow here in Colorado. Um, that's always a fun hunt. If you ever want to learn how to stalk an animal, go on a spot and stalk antelope hunt. And you'll probably blow 20 or 30 stalks before you even get within bow range. And then that stalk, you'll probably blow it too. But <laughs> <laughs> they're, fun to, they're fun to chase after for sure. Um, and then other than that... Um, you know, no big projects really in the works. Um, I've got a new company up with a few other people, the Mule Deer Hunter. Um, we've got a Facebook platform and an Instagram platform you can go check out, as well as a website, themuledeerhunter.com. I do that with uh, David Long and a few other people, but David just released his book. I'm going to do a plug for him. Uh, David Long and Mike um, Duplan put this together. It's called The Edge. David is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to mule deer hunting. And in this book, he's taken some of the greatest minds in, in the industry um, and asked them to cover topics. And there's some great little topics on everything from fitness to optics, you know, to bow hunting, rifle hunting. Um, it's just an awesome book that David put together, but um, that's, that's for sale on our site as well. Um, but I don't know. For me, I just love talking hunting. I love being in the outdoors. So I'm sure pretty much any weekend, if I'm not at a show, I'm going to be out, you know, running around the woods. Uh, my boys still have a cow tag and a doe tag each. That goes until I think January 15th. So we'll be, you know, getting out doing a little hunting for them. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just, as long as there's something to do outdoors, I'll be doing it. <laughs> nice. I'm super bummed out. I didn't realize uh, I was trying to figure out if I could get the time off and it's a uh, Western hunt expos like starts, I think the day after my birthday. And so I was like, Oh, that timing's perfect. And I went to buy uh expo hall tickets and sold out. So for the hunt expo in Salt Lake. Yeah. Yeah. So I might, uh, I was, I was looking at it. I wanted to do ATA, but 
I'm I'm probably going to actually be down doing the same thing as you are down in Arizona um, with those late season archery tags, either chasing coos or muley. Um, so I, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't think I'll do ATA. And then I was thinking, yeah, Western Hunt Expo, um, especially because the timing's good. But I was kind of going back and forth because I want to go to Texas in February, too. Well, so, <laughs> so for the Hunt Expo, you were looking at getting a booth? Or just uh, go? Just going. Just going in it. They're only sold out as far as their booths. You can get in on the floor. I mean, you could go that day and buy tickets to get on the floor. They don't turn anybody away. So Okay, I was looking. I'll have to take another look then. I was looking at tickets, and they said just like an expo hall pass was sold out, and I thought that's what it... Uh... Yeah, no, you can get... I mean, you can buy tickets the day of and just show up and walk in. So um, Okay. Yeah, I was really surprised. I'm like, wow, they're turning people away, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, they're not turning people away. Um I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong with their website where they're not selling the tickets yet. I don't know, but I know for a fact that you know they would they would not turn anybody away. They they sell those tickets the day of, and I mean, you show up, you can buy yourself a ticket and walk in. So I would still consider that that is the expo to go to. Yeah, uh, that you know that Hunt Expo in in February in Salt Lake is just an amazing amazing time. I I kind of say it's kind of like a high school class reunion where you go back and you get to see your friends. But there's so many of my friends like from Instagram or Facebook that that's the only time of the year I see them is at the hunt expo, you know, and you catch up with them, tell a few stories and high five. And then you're kind of back off to checking out some, some booths, but it's a, it's a great time. And I would, you know, I would encourage anybody to go to it. Uh, They have seminars going all day, every day. They've got, um, they do a film, uh, what do you call it? A, a film expo or whatever at the same time where they play films and they, you know, they give awards for those. So there's always some good films playing, you know, then, then of course there's the exhibition hall, which is huge, but, um, and then they've got the, they've got the giveaways that they, they give away the, the sheep foundation does one during the middle of the day where they give away sheep hunts. And then the state has their $5 tags where for five bucks, you can put in for tags that you probably won't ever draw in your lifetime. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's kind of cool to check out as well, but that's, that's by far my favorite show. So I would encourage you to don't give up on that, to still look at going. And I'll take a, I'll take a look. I think I must've just misread the website or I think I probably just misread the website or something. I didn't realize that, that that was probably for booths. So I'll take a, yeah. I'll take another look and throw in for the time off. Um, I went to last year, I went to the ISE show in Salt Lake thinking it was the Western hunt expo. Yeah. I, uh, my Google search did me wrong. Uh, <laughs> just yeah. typed in the wrong thing, but I actually, I actually had a great time uh, at the ISE show. Um, I think it actually worked out in my benefit because it wasn't quite as as busy. Um, it, you know, there weren't quite as many people there, I should say. But everyone that was there, I think, was super bored (laughs) and and so i got to hang out and like got as much time to sit and talk with as many people as i wanted because they weren't you know they weren't as busy that's the one thing i'll I'll admit that i've heard about western hunt is everyone's tends to be running off to do something or meet with someone or record a podcast or (laughs) sit in the grady bowman booth (laughs) yeah there's one i know like like last year at the expo i did a i did a podcast with cody rich uh so I know he did, he's doing them. I know I know of probably six different you know guys that are or I shouldn't say guys because there might be some girls too, but um, some six different podcasts that are going to be you know recording there at the expo. So it is kind of crazy. It's it your plate gets full pretty quick, um, and your time with people is limited. <laughs> like you said, you know everybody's doing seminars or running back and forth, or I got to make an appearance at this booth. Um, but at the same time, it's really cool because there's very few people in this industry that are not approachable. So if you see somebody that you haven't talked to or you know or you look up to, you can run up to them and just be like, hey, I just want to say hello. And, you know, it's it's really cool because you do get that time where you get to meet different people and then realize that, hey, this is a real person, not just a Instagram page or, you know, a TV show or whatever. It's it's a lot of fun. And there's, you know, there's always stuff going on in the evenings. And so that that show for me, I think, is one that's a must do and don't miss <laughs> every year so definitely no i i i've enjoyed as it was with the with the isc show and then uh like when i went to total archery challenge i i do love that 
yeah it is it's like senior senior friends they you know i mean and for me a lot of these people like i've i've never met before but i've talked with so much that it right it's like well we'd meet and then we'd realize be like wait a second this is our first time ever actually meeting in person that seems so weird because you feel like you get to know these people just talking on the phone with them or or over the messages yeah some of my best friends are guys that i haven't met or um, you know, people that maybe I've met once or twice is all, you know, and, but I know if something happened and I needed them, they'd be there for me just, you know, just cause they're solid dudes. But, um, yeah, again, you brought up another awesome thing, total archery challenge. And, uh, I was hoping they'd have one put together for Colorado this year. I, as of right now, it doesn't look like they do. I know they're working on it, but, um, that, did you go to snowbird or where'd you go? I, I went to snowbird. I, I've been to salt Lake more times this year than I have then the rest of my life combined. Right. <laughs> I I think I've gone I think I've been out to Utah like five times this year. Just randomly like I I needed a weekend off and something randomly happened to be going and flights to Provo are like forty bucks. So <laughs> I you know, I'd fly in, yeah. take the train up, camp in Wasatch and you know, hey it works. Yeah. Well, it's kind of become a hub of, of kind of the Western hunting, you know, and that, and I think it's great. It's a great little, you know, area. You've, you've got some great hunting around there, but it's just, there's a lot of solid people in that area as well. And, um, yeah, they've, there's some great, great events that happen in that area from the expo to total archery challenge. But yeah, that's, that's another one. Um, you know, when I grew up in the outdoors and in the industry, there wasn't events like this. It wasn't like you did anything. All you did, I mean, the biggest events we had were little, well, and this will, this will date me a little bit, but we had 2d archery shoots. We didn't have 3d targets back then. We had these foam 2d targets. They were like two and a half inches thick of foam. And it was just a 2d animal and it had a replaceable kill zone. And, and, you know, our tournaments back then were using those little foam targets. So, um, but now, I mean, now they've got these events that you can, you know, go all over the world, whether you, you know, go up to Montana for total archery challenge or you, you know, or you go to shot show or ATA or, you know, the expo or whatever. It's, it's awesome. Cause there's, there's just so much now, um, to get you excited year round, you know, about hunting in the industry. And I, I don't know, I love it. I, I think it's awesome to see where it's going. So you mentioned you're, uh, heading down to Arizona for those, those late season archery, uh, archery hunts. I've done a I've done a little bit of chatting on the podcast uh, uh, about those. Talked uh, talked well with John Stallone and uh, some with Jay Scott about those. Um, I'm trying to. I was hoping to get out this month for for some of them too, but it looks like life is uh, life is being life, and I'm 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 still holding out hope that I can maybe get out for a few days between Christmas and New Year's, but. Uh, the job this is probably one of the two busiest times of the year for my for my work so uh so that's been a a bit preventative but uh so you're heading down uh heading down in january for for the mule deer rut yeah we've got there's three of us that are looking at going down and um you know this will be my first year to go down for this tag um and i'm super excited you know my buddy he's been down there a couple times he's actually headed down this weekend um, because he did not fill his tag, um, the early part or the early season this year. So he'll be trying to fill that tag before the end of the year. Um, and then, uh, hopefully get another tag for the start of next year. But, um, yeah, we're going to be down there. I don't know if we've even set the dates yet, but that first week, you know, one of my, the guy I hunt with a lot, Jason, he's got, um, two high school age girls. I've got, you know, my boys are in high school and then I've got a young one that's 18 months old. Um, but we have to try to balance those schedules out and, you know, his schedule, my schedule. And then our other buddy that we go with, he's got a couple, he's got a young daughter. I want to say she's about five years old and then he's got one on the way. So he has to balance his schedule. So it's always one of those things where if we try to do a trip together, it's like, okay, which weekend works for you? And then we have to adjust our schedule. So um, but yeah, that first week sometime of January, we're going to head down and try and stay for, you know, at least three or four days and, um, may not be a full, you know, week long hunt, but we'll get down there and, and do some chasing anyways. That's cool, man. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm excited for him just because you know I'm already buying the already buying the license for for building those points for elk and and a few other species. So right. why not go down? For me, it's a, a five hour drive depending on where I'm going. You know, yeah. I it's one of the few actually reasonable hunts for someone from Southern California that yeah. that has sure. a decent you know chance of some action and hopefully success we'll see i'm 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 going out there for both coos and muley um i mean i'm i'm not uh i'm not biased anything uh i'm more than happy to put anything i see into the freezer so (laughs) especially i mean especially after how this year's been i i would be one i'd be happy to see anything period yeah two i would be happy to to get within 100 yards of anything period Three, if I could even get a shot off, I will be get within shooting range and like take a shot. I will be just floored. And if I actually took something home, I don't care what it is, man. Like <laughs> I'm more than happy. So, um, so I'm excited to get out. I think that to have those expectations and those goals, you know, to say, okay, I'm gonna go find the animals. That's goal number one. Goal number two is to find them in an area where I can put on a stock and get within range, you know, goal number three is to be able to get that shot and make a good clean ethical shot. So I think that's awesome that you have those goals and that you're, you know, I mean, of course each of us start every hunt with the idea of, Oh, I'm going to kill a giant. You know, I mean, of that's just what it is. That's, that's why we get excited because that is a possibility. You know, you're out there hunting. You never know what's going to step out. You never know what you're going to locate and find. Um, but to have, you know, legitimate expectations of, okay, you know, I hope I kill a giant, but I'm going to go out there and my goal is to locate some deer, you know, and then once I've located those deer, my goal is going to change and my goal is going to be, I'm going to put a stock on one, you know? So I think it's cool to be able to be realistic about your hunts, but have big goals. You know, I think that's, that's the quickest way to make every single hunt, hunt a successful one exactly. is, you look at that first goal and if it is if it is to locate animals and observe them then shoot you've already got a successful hunt everything's downhill from there you put a lot a lot less pressure on yourself you put a lot less stress on your life and you just enjoy everything a bit more um i think do something people overlook on the especially on these out of state hunts is goal number one should just be getting there. <laughs> you oh, dear know? Lord. I mean, you want to talk about adventures, man. Some of my best adventures have been just getting to the hunts themselves, you know? So that's something that you can't ever, one, overlook, and two, y- you got to make that part of the part of the trip, part of the fun. That's, I remember going out to Idaho, too. I, I was like, okay, you know, this should be about a 16-hour drive for me from where I'm going and, and this and that. And I, I looked at it and it, 20 hours later, I'm getting, uh, <laughs> you know, I think, or no, I think it was like 22 hours later, I'm getting to the spot where I'm going to be hunting. And I'm, I'm like, man, that was an adventure, a huge adventure in and of itself. And, you know, it was, it was definitely, uh, an experience for sure. And probably one that I should have stopped and slept along the way, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But now you have that experience to look back on and, and that becomes all part of the hunt, you know, so. No, absolutely. Um, so we talked a little bit about uh, about Safari Club. I always, I always love Safari Club because it's, you know, it was one of, it's a, the history of it's pretty interesting because it's, I think it was started by two main chapters and one of them was in Los Angeles, I believe. I believe you're right, yeah. It was uh, back in the what uh, mid late seventies, I want to say. Um, I can't remember what the other chapter was, but I think it was like two two Safari Club chapters, and they kind of got together and then decided to change the name to Safari Club International and and expand and start pulling in other other groups. But one of the few uh, one of the few conservation and hunting claims to fame from Los Angeles. We don't have a ton, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, Safari Club, I, I think a lot of people just because of the name are kind of pushed away because they think when you think Safari, you think Africa, um, which Safari Club is huge in Africa. And um, 
as well as throughout the world. I mean, there's, there's safari clubs, um, there's local chapters that are in Europe, um, that are in Australia. I mean, they're all anywhere you want to go hunt. There's a safari club. Um, and the awesome thing as far as me and the way I look at it with safari club and the local chapters is 70% of the money you raise stays locally. Um, I support elk foundation and mule deer foundation, but a lot of those other foundations out there, conservation groups out there, when you support that group and you pay your dues and you go to a banquet and that money's raised, a lot of times that money is turned over to national and national gets to decide where that money goes. And that's a great thing because there are some huge projects that need that kind of money to take place. Like what, what Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation does when they go in, they may spend, you know, millions and millions of dollars for one project. And the only way you're going to get that kind of money is with all the chapters, you know, pitching in. But with Safari Club, 70% of the money we make stays local and we do grants, we do scholarships. Um, you know, we do every, everything from grants for sending teachers um, to what's called the All School, which is American Wilderness Leadership School. And we send local teachers every year up to the school. And what it does is it teaches them how to bring the wilderness into the classroom. Um, so it's how to get kids excited about the outdoors because there is such a large disconnect in kids, whether they be middle school or high school age kids with the outdoors, you know, part of that's due to technology and kids on their phone all the time or, or playing, you know, video games all the time. But there is a huge disconnect. I mean, even with my boys, the amount of time I spend with them, you know, getting them in the woods and, and trying to keep their focus on the outdoors and hunting. I mean, this year we're hiking along and one of our hunts, my son Cole had a buck tag. My son Nate had a cow tag. We're hiking along and all of a sudden Nate starts whistling and I turn around and look real quick like, what? Like I thought maybe he saw something. He had his headphones in and was listening to music as we're hiking along. Oh, and- no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the generation, you know, and I, I made him take him out. I'm like, I was like, you are missing so much by not listening to what's going on around you. And I said, yes, I'm here with you. And yes, I'm going to hear things and I'll point them out, whatever. But you need to take in that experience. But it's just that's kind of that generation. You know, they are they are that technology generation and they're they're driven by their phones and and, you know, the TVs and the computers, and the Internet. And and uh, and I think there's a huge disconnect. And, and by sending these teachers to this outdoor you know school where they learn how whether it's archery in the schools or whether it's teaching kids how to start a fire. I mean, how many kids out there actually know how to start a fire now? I knew how to start a fire when I was young, like six, seven years old. But I took my boys camping the other day. I was like, hey, Cole, start the fire. And he like had no clue what to do. I mean, he had matches and he's sitting there trying to light twigs on fire. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, you know, here's some tinder. This is how you get tinder. And, you know, and, and just sitting there going, wow, I didn't even realize that I had dropped the ball on this. Um, with my boys, but it's just something that I think is important. And, and it's something that I get to see locally kind of take shape. We help out with 4-H clubs. Um, you know, we, we've purchased everything from, um, from a, a scale to weigh animals for the 4-H club to another 4-H club. We actually send them to nationals for shooting competition. So we do a lot locally and, and that's fun to see. It's fun to see, you know, those dollars that you're helping raise be spent right there in front of you and be a part of that. So that's one of the reasons I've gotten so big with Safari Club um, and why I've invested so much time because I get to see that difference made right there in front of me locally, you know, to the people in my life, you know, that are around me. I would still encourage everybody to be a part of those other groups, you know, find a conservation group whose ethics and morals and values mirror yours and become a part of it, you know. I mean, there's conservation groups out there for anything you're interested in in the hunting world i mean anything every day i swear i i see on instagram or facebook or you know somewhere uh some other like well-established group that's dedicated to some super specific animal or you know i mean if there's something you're interested in there's there's a group out there and and you can get involved financially you can get involved i think you know we talked about this earlier people i feel like are super willing to get 
involved financially with a lot of these groups or even just, you know, thinking like, oh, I'm buying my tags, I'm doing my part for conservation. Um, not as many people are willing to donate their time. And I get it, you know, you you donate where you can. You know, you may be working, you know, 60 hours a week trying to, trying to pay rent and you can't... Uh, you know, can't afford to give up that time and you can only afford to give so much financially. I get that. But, um, I think it's super important that we were also finding ways to give of our time as well. I mean, I'm here in Southern California, you know, you want to talk about a place that's hard to find ways to get like boots on the ground to donate time. Like it's tough. Like there's very few opportunities for me to get out and go work on like a, go out to the desert and work on a guzzlers for, for rams or, you know, for, for sheep or something. But, uh, I think not enough people take that effort to donate time. They kind of almost write it off. They're like, okay, I, 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 I donated my, my $30 a month to BHA, um, you know, and I bought tags this year, which, you know, I will never discourage anyone from doing, but right. nobody wants to, it's, it's more effort to take time and go to those go to those state meetings um oh. go you know heck go to a bha pint night and just meet people and help help recruit others go you know get on the email list and find out when there's going to be that random project like people don't want to put in that mental effort i think yeah, and I so it's it's also super important take somebody pretty special to do that you know and put in that mental effort because and that's one thing I found, you know, for me as president, the amount of time that I have to put into that club that's not directed at boots on the ground projects is crazy. But because I do put in that time, everybody else can come and put their boots on the ground and be a part of it, whether it be, you know, an archery shoot that we have for the kids and putting that on or or whether it be something like, um, you know, putting time and effort into building a local library. You know, I mean, get out there and make a difference and support these organizations that are supporting your passions. Um, and it, it, you know, for me, it's a lot of time, a lot of effort. Thankfully my busy time with Safari club is my slow time with work. So it works for me. (laughs) And I understand like for you, like you're getting to your busy season and, and that's tough, but, um, you can find a way and, and whether it's, you know, showing up to a meeting once a month, letting your voice be heard or, or getting out and doing a project once a year, there's opportunities. It's just a matter of finding them and, and getting, you know, getting involved. So, and I mean, that is the beauty of the, this technology age that we're in is it provides so much more access to that. It is it's so much easier to find, you know, find these options because you can hop on these email lists. You can join these Facebook groups. You can, you just have so much more immediate and widespread access to stuff that you may never have known, you know, unless it's happening in your neighborhood kind of a thing. And so um, that is one of the beauties of the technology, this technology age we live in and, and all of that. It definitely has its negatives, but I think uh, there's not, there's not as many excuses anymore for not getting involved. There really isn't. Right. So, uh, getting into this, um, as we're kind of winding down, what, uh, if people wanted to find you online, where can they, uh, where can they hunt you down? Um, I think like most people now, Instagram's kind of becoming the place to go. Um, there's not a limit on the number of people you can have. I think I've hit my friend's limit on Facebook. I don't know how many times I go through and delete a bunch of people, but, um, <clears throat> I really don't spend a lot of time on Facebook anymore. Um, I, I do a little bit, but not, not much. Most of my time goes into Instagram. So on Instagram, it's Muley Matt. Um, you can also check out the mule deer hunter on Instagram. Uh, we do have a, a page on Facebook for the mule deer hunter that has like 27,000 people on it now. So, um, that that's taken off. Um, and that's kind of a cool forum where people can go and get information or brag about their hunts or whatever. Um, it does take, I tell you what, those, those Facebook pages take some time because there are some stupid people that like to get on there and make stupid. You got to try to keep that clean and cleaned up. But I think our group does a pretty good job of that. 
Um, but yeah, Instagram's the best place to find me. So. Awesome. And uh, so as we're closing it out, do you have any words of wisdom or or maybe encouragement for someone either from the city that just doesn't have access to the outdoors as easily or just someone new to hunting that feels maybe intimidated and like, there's a lot going on. I don't know what to do. Yeah. No, I think, I think there's a couple great things. One, I would say, you know, find a group locally. Um, these conservation groups are great because you get to meet people that have the same passion. So um, I've got on my board, two different people that are wanting to learn how to hunt and the, you know, they join the board so that they can meet people. And I think that's a great way um, to get involved. Um, I also would encourage people to make their first few hunts a hunt that is not too difficult and highly successful. Um, so yeah, you don't want to necessarily just tromp off into the back country, Idaho by yourself. Um, yeah, what, <laughs> but, kind of, what kind of idiot would do that? <coughs> yeah, <laughs> no, just, you know, with, with, each state now pretty much puts out, you know, the, how hard it is to draw each unit and the success rates with a little bit of effort. You can find easy to draw tags with high success rate and understand that, Hey, look, I'm out for the experience. I'm out to learn how it's done. <clears throat> you know, I mean, if you shoot a stud buck, you want to know how to cape that thing out. So on your first hunt, if you go on a doe, if you go on a hunt and shoot a doe and then that's your first hunt, Cape that dough out just so you have that experience of, okay, wow, this is how it's, oh man, these eyes are tough, you know, <laughs> and mess up on, on an animal that's not going to be, you know, something you're going to regret. Um, so yeah, I would encourage people to, to find a hunt that's high success, easy to draw, whether it be a, a doe hunt for antelope in Wyoming or whatever. I mean, make it a hunt that's going to be fun. That's going to, you know, put some meat on the table and let you learn how to how to cut it up, how to butcher it yourself, um, and realize that it's going to take some time to work up to the, unless I have a ton of money and want to pay people to do it for me, you know, I, it's going to take time to, to figure out those animals and to get into the back country and be successful. So I, w I would encourage people not to um, set their goals too high for their first hunt, you know, their first hunt just to be like, hey, let's have fun. Even if it is like a, you know, a a duck hunt or a hog hunt in Texas. I mean, hog hunting in Texas is a blast. I love it. You know, I tell people you should, you should go do it, get on a ranch and shoot some hogs. <laughs> um, it's a fun hunt. It provides meat um, and it'll give you a great experience. So um, yeah, that would be my, that would be probably my piece of advice is to do a little research and, you know, don't set your goals too high to start off with. It's great to have those lofty goals, but set them for a couple years down the road. Don't think that you're, you know, 19 years old, fresh out of high school, you know, in college, and you can do a 20 mile round trip backcountry hunt and, and that you're going to shoot a 200 inch deer. I mean, does it happen? Yeah, it happens, but you know, it takes some time and effort and success or uh, experience to, to get to that success. So yeah, I just, I think it's fun just to get out there and, and have that experience. So that's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the show today. I appreciate having you on and uh, sharing your time. Yeah, thank you. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 49 of Living Country in the City. Make sure you check out Matt and the Mule Deer Hunter online. You can find links to all of those pages on our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 49. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. You know, I mean, it's, it's, if there's something you're interested in, interested in, 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 in I am having the, the speaking problems. Yeah. <laughs>